This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, British Columbia has become the first province to decriminalize the possession of some drugs, small amounts. Advocate and broadcaster Garth Mullins tells us if decriminalizing drugs is the right step forward in fighting the opioid crisis in BC and what drug users think of the policy. The war in Ukraine is fading the headlines, but the war is not slowing down. Advocate and former judge Mikhail Zernikov updates us on everything we need to know about what is happening inside Ukraine today out the window of Ukrainian as he sees it for himself. Plus, are you okay with opossum or is it possum or is it the same? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with opossums? Do I know what an opossum is? Opossum. Can you clarify for me there? Opossum. Okay. That's how you spell it. Everybody thinks it's possum, but it's opossum with an O. Really? Yes. Get out of here. Let's Google yes. this. Let's Google, Google it. Google it. What is so a possum? O possum with an O in front of it. Big okay, old, well, a possum is a thing. A possum is a thing, but in this particular story, it deals with a possum. A possum. A possums. Mm-hmm. A possum. A possum. Opossums are members of the diddle diddly diddly do formula yeah, diddle, form diddle, family. <laughs> Diddlemorphia? Diddlephomorphia. The what difference a, between a possum and an opossum. While they have similar names, possums and opossums are distinctly different animals. Huh. And here's an article with several key differences. I'm not going to read the whole article here, though. Give a couple Anyone? highlights of a couple of key yeah, differences. I'm one has an O in front. One does not. Possums are native oh, to Australia and New possum. Zealand, like Chris uh, Gilbert, and China. Well, opossums uh, live in America and uh, southern Canada. I guess that's where everyone lives in Canada, to be honest. Is southern <laughs> yeah, Canada. most people anyway. Yeah. Southern. Oh, so opossums are O Canada? Yeah, they're, they're North American. Mm. Okay, so opossums are O Canada, and yeah. then um, the possums are not in canada yeah they are uh, chris gilbert down there they're kiwis oh, and chris australia as, as well and uh, the possum has a furry tail while the opossum has a bear tail yeah that's it's gross looks like a rat tail which is why they're i think they're so weird because they have like the body of like a raccoon the face of like a rat and then a yeah, rat tail cute, though they but this... they are that's the thing. They're strangely cute. What's that? My favorite thing about them, though, is that What's they play dead. That's like their thing. What's that animal they... that you get, like weird people get as a pet? They're long and skinny and furry like that. They look kind of like this. Ferrets. They're weird. My uncle had ferrets. Uh, what was the country you said that the possum was from? The southern countries down southern hemisphere? What were they? Uh, we had New Zealand, Australia, and uh, China as well. All right. Well, since you said Australia... Oh. Just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call Australia home. Australia. Australia. Oh, let's be awesome. That's just an opportunity to play the song because we're not even talking about possums. We're talking about opossums. Are you okay with opossums? Opossums. Opossums. I don't know. Smosopo. Smosopo. 
Smasopo, if you say them backwards. Are you saying backwards? Yeah, I like saying words backwards. It's fun. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, here we are. They uh, look kind of scary. They have sh- tiny little sharp teeth, although when they have little babies on their back, they're kind of cute. Somehow, an opossum ended up inside of a New York bar. Patrons had no idea how to get rid of the little creature. Lucky for them, there was someone from Alaska. <laughs> We need an Alaska song. There was someone from Alaska in the bar, and her name is Sarah Fulton. I was just outside hanging out with my friend outside the bar. Uh, The door was open, uh, and then all of a sudden we see this critter run in. Sarah says it's really no big deal. She's not from Brooklyn. She's from Alaska. Take another look. That's Sarah grabbing the possum by the scruff. And she walks out the bar and sends him on his way. No muss, no fuss. The possum, after all, is tiny compared to the moose family that used to live in her backyard. I think it was just like instinctual. I just like went up to him and I was just like, hey, I know you're afraid because he was just like. (laughs) And so I was just like, all right, I think it's like I'm just going to grab you, scruff you and take you out because I feel like that'll be the least painful for you. As you saw in the video, everyone else in the bar promptly panicked. The only wildlife these Brooklynites are used to are cockroaches and rats. That night, they were out of their depth. I mean, everybody just lost their minds. Like, we couldn't believe it was happening. And I was like, wait, what do I do? I grabbed my phone, didn't know who to call. I was like, this isn't something that people do. By the time the job was done, Sarah was the toast of the town. Drinks lined up for her at the bar. Everyone fought her so many rounds. Yeah, it, it turned into a party afterwards. Yeah. Oh, oh well, who needs a, a party when you, uh, when you do that, right? So I couldn't find anything that was like Alaska specific, so I found a song by Maggie Rogers called Alaska. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like she's not even place? from Alaska. She's from no. uh, she's from Maryland. <laughs> okay. I feel like like John Denver would have a song about Alaska. Uh, I feel like this sounds more like Maryland than Alaska. Yeah. yeah. It's a very Maryland song. Uh I, there's also no songs about opossums. That doesn't surprise me. Seems like a missed opportunity, actually, in the songwriting world. I don't know what rhymes with opossum. Possum, I suppose. Actually, it does seem like something Tom Waits would write a song about. Tawasson. <laughs> opossum in Tawasson. Yeah, almost. The end. Uh, videos of this dramatic opossum uh, snagging act have been shared thousands of times online. Uh, the hero New York deserves not the one it needed. There was no bat light, no opossum light mm-hmm. in the sky. Man. <laughs> oh, well. Hey, it's the chef. Do we do that? Are you okay with going for a dip? Dip in the pool. I'm going swimming this weekend. Ooh, I'm are you? so excited. Yes, I love swimming. It's probably my favorite kind of physical activity. And I almost became a lifeguard at one point. But I did mm. not finish the training. Uh, but I, uh, I love the swimming. I love the water slides, all of that. Yeah. If I had a pool, I'd use it far too often. Mm. Like I, I, you I kind of yeah. figure like you're like a Speedo guy. Oh. No, no. no. That just doesn't look well, comfortable. I just think like the Crocs, you know, you'd rock a Speedo, confident as can be. Speedo and Crocs in the community pool. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
You no, I need to be at least 20 years older than that. Super than pale Irish sunburn at 17 degrees skin. Yep. Yep. That's going to be there. <laughs> Public pools, yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. we live in Calgary. There's no pools in anybody's backyards here. It's not mm. Ontario or BC. There's no pools here. So it's got to be the public pools. I think they're clean for the most part here, at least in mm. Calgary. A couple of great so ones in hot Ontario, tubs. too. Sharing hot tubs. Communal bathing is the hard one for me. Yeah. Nothing like a Band-Aid ruins it. Yeah, I don't. I don't sideways on the public pools. Like I was lap swimming a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm tired of running. Let's try some lap swimming, and it was fun. It was a hard, difficult workout, yes, but the afterwards, it's just like, why do older gentlemen feel the need to just walk around? completely naked and naked have a full conversation try to have a full conversation with but you. they oh, stand yeah. <laughs> i'm just like, stand oh, like it's the pose they stand everything. like old men too with their hands yeah. on their hips and all yeah. the all the bits hanging out yeah i hope oh, i never yeah. oh but i like want to be proud like that though right I like i want to own it it's yeah. just you don't right? care you get to the point no. where you don't care and no. you know you got to stretch your stuff it's like yeah, it's a little. I actually, you know, it's funny. I I thought this was an old man thing, and I asked Laura about this, and Laura's like, "Women do this too. It's just no. when you get older, you just don't care." And really? I, I kind of respect that, honestly. A de- deep down, I kind of respect it. Will I do it? No. I say that uh, no. you probably will. You say that now. Yeah. There is something magic about an outdoor, really big outdoor like community pool. Yeah, in the summertime, you know, diving boards, deep end, all that stuff in the, in the hot sun in the summertime. That's pretty cool. Are you okay with a dip in the pool after a shift record of four straight Florida? Are you okay's? Uh, we have been through a bit of a Florida drought here. Mm-hmm. We did uh, one week. We had four straight nights with are are you okay's from Florida? So not only does this story involve pools, it's flooded with Florida gators. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida, straight drip. Uh, Okay, a woman in a sunny Florida? Florida? Florida. Florida. I'm giving you the full Florida Are You Okay experience here. It wouldn't be a Florida Are You Okay without a Florida typo. But that's how they, some people say it down there. Florida. 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 Yeah, that's actually how some people say it down there. Ah, still a typo. Ah, Oh, One more. All right. Close. Um, so a close. woman. I'm assuming it's supposed to say Florida. Yes. A woman in sunny Florida <laughs> spotted a gator in her pool on Memorial Day. Oh, a woman on a sunny Florida <laughs> spotted a gator on her pool on Memorial Day. Uh, she wasn't the one to have an unwelcome guest at, and she wasn't the only one. Yeah, there you go. <sighs> yeah, the word is there. Yeah, that was you. Uh, that was me. And she wasn't the only one to have an unwelcome guest at her pool party. Huh. What does it mean to be from... See, now that one was me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all big. It's just a whole derailed. Thing, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I got it. They I got pay it. us. I swear they do. I got the right one. You know, it's gator mating season, and alligators are a lot more active this time of year. One even ended up in a Windermere swimming pool... Stacy Gwinnon says she heard the reptiles splashing in the water oh around eight this morning. So she called the non-emergency line for police. Deputies came out to help, but the little guy eventually hopped out and 
He's like, I just wanted to cool off. Yeah, it's hot. I don't want any problems. He yeah. just ran away on his own. So that's the best scenario there. And you might remember an even larger alligator was caught swimming in a family's pool earlier this Ooh. month in Charlotte County. So that's mm-hmm. southwest Florida. Officers say this monster was nearly 11 feet long and weighed 550 pounds. He did not hop out on his yeah. own. Wow. Uh, that's wild. Just, I, uh, huh? I was just going to say, I think she just fat shamed an alligator. I know. You shouldn't do that. Don't body shame pool. alligators. That yeah. was from News 6, by the way. And um, since this was probably one of the, <laughs> maybe the best, <laughs> maybe the worst, <laughs> subjective, are you okays ever? Uh, we're going to leave it there. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, you may have heard in the news that in B.C. they are not legalizing, just decriminalizing small. uh, I don't know what you I'm not a drug guy at all, so I have no experience. Small little baggies of stuff. Garth, help me out. What do what do they what do you call that? Small amounts of drugs? Yeah, sm- small amounts of drugs for personal possession, I guess they would call it. Uh, Garth Mullins is an advocate for legalization of drugs and um, and an overall smart dude that I really enjoy talking to. So, Garth, uh, how you been? You've been good. It's been a couple of months. Things all right? Yeah, you know, just uh, trying to keep one foot in front of the other, keep your stick on the ice. Whatever other Canadian cliche comes to mind, I'm trying to do that. Well, you've been uh, you've been making music again, though. Now that the COVID lockdowns are, uh, I've noticed on your on your feeds, you're you're back cranking out the loud metal. We're we're trying to, uh, you know, the old uh, the old school punk rock, and um, uh, we had a show canceled because uh, half the bands had COVID. Oh dear! So uh, that was like, and that was just early May, you know. So it's just like. I mean, we're not out of this yet, but I keep hoping that we're going to get out of this so we can just play music again normally. Maybe you can, I guess we'll see. Maybe you can call your band the Justabouts or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Just about a show. Um, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that you're back at a little bit. That's cool stuff. Now, Garth's background is um, an addict. You're a methadone user. You, um, you, I mean, it's a part of your life in order to function. You work a job. You're in a band. You do all the things. So your perspective on all things around drugs is uh, is quite clear to me. So I appreciate you taking time to share with BC saying that if you got a little bit of dope, you're not going to get arrested. But by the way, we're not legalizing it. We're not legalizing trafficking, none of those things, which I found ironic, Garth, because they also haven't legalized the trafficking of marijuana, right? So it seemed a bit uh, hypocritical to me. But is this well, good the, or bad? I mean, I think that the big difference with uh, marijuana is that um, if I want to go get marijuana um, from a store uh, and that I want to know what's in it, like I want to know that there's no- nothing lacing it, that there's no weird contaminants, that there's no like pig dewormer in there or fentanyl, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do that because the government has regulated the sale of marijuana. Lots, lots of issues with that, the, the process that they did. But you can go to a store and get something you know isn't going to kill you. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that with drugs in BC now, and and you w- there's nothing on the horizon that suggests that. What what the government did announce yesterday is the federal government said that British Columbia is exempted from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act for the purposes of small amounts for personal consumption. So the the amount is like less than two point five grams. So uh, you know it's it's it is is pretty low. But it is also something that drug users have been asking for for a long time. Now, 
because it's not because the thing that you could be possessing is the same toxic drugs. It's not going to save lives. It's not going to be that revolution. But getting the cops out of the lives of drug users, or at least some drug users, is not a bad thing. Yeah. Because that's just created misery for 100 years. Well, and I, I think that the baseline of that from your perspective to make sure that I understand correctly is that most drug users aren't necessarily criminals, right? Like, I mean, Hey, if you're a drug user and you're breaking into windows and doing all kinds of hooliganism, then fine. You know, the cops can deal with you, but most drug users are not doing that. And I think that's a state, a safe look at this, right? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, most drug users, actually most drug users are criminals because drugs are illegal. Well, that's that's <laughs> right? a good point. So, like, I guess I... <laughs> we are, we are criminalized, but you're right. I mean, there's already laws against breaking a window and breaking and entering and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, we have overlapping conditions, uh, crises, like we have a lot of poverty in this country because of the inequality of wealth distribution. We have a lot of homelessness because especially in my city, housing has become something for millionaires. So it's, it's like uh, we have these crises that overlap and sort of make each other worse. Mm -hmm. But just possessing small amounts of drugs, at least that shouldn't be grounds for the police to get right into your lives, as it has been for, for my life and the lives of lots of people I know that, uh, you know, I'm middle aged. So like I was around in the Nancy Reagan, just say no era. And so the police have been um, up my uh, uh, up, you can say that <laughs> up in my business, up in my business and up <laughs> in other people's business for, uh, you know, for a lot of for a lot of years in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, you, you can. Uh, thanks for the self edit. Not necessary. Appreciate it. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I guess I guess I got the uh, CBC. Yeah. Um, forget about that. Lens going in my nighttime. Way, way more fun. We could be more honest here. More real. All right. Well, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so the um, the reality is is that that um, this has some good because it allows personal use. But I have questions, as you know, that we this is what I always call you for. I have questions. This does this enable some of those um, you know uh, users that only have you know I don't know what you even call them. I would call them dime bags. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore um, uh, of dope to feel more comfortable and go buy more uncontrolled who knows what's in it filler. I can't believe you said pig dewormer. I don't even know that's a thing. So you're going to have to explain that. It is. Um, it's definitely a thing. See, that's wild. Um, but you don't know what it is. Does that open up people's comfort level to go use more now, even though this is where the bad part, right? Because if it makes people more comfortable to go use, but they're using the bad stuff, that can't be working. Well, I got to tell you, I went to high school a long time ago and it was easier for me to get drugs than it was to get alcohol back then wow. because you had to be uh, 19. Right. But and now, shit, people can get people can get opioids or rock or whatever on the Internet. It is really easy for people to get drugs anywhere. So will this make it easier? I, I doubt it. like that horse has already left the barn. I think we just have to admit that, you know, if there's if there's any sort of policy dream of making hard drugs harder to get a hold of that's that's something from the 20th century that's over right we're 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 gone from that um will it make people use a substance they weren't intending to use like if they were having a dime bag of weed would they now go get a dime bag of something else I, you know i'm not i'm not really sure about that there there hasn't been any evidence generated that i've seen that the risk of arrest for possession is a big motivator in whether people do or do not use harder drugs. I mean, right now, this shit can kill you. And if that doesn't dissuade people or whatever, then, you know, I'm not sure whether um, this announcement from the feds yesterday will. Yeah. 
Um, it's not legalization, right? It's not controlling quality. Not to be. F- That's right. I mean, exactly. Like I was saying at the top of the show, like legalization is what happened with weed. Now anybody can legally get weed that they know what's in it. That there's no contaminants. There's no other substances. That is not what's happening here. All this is is it's um, it's sort of like the police are saying, well, we're not going to enforce the law on these tiny little bits of drugs that that some people might have. That that's that's the announcement. That's the idea anyway. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what'll happen, but that's what they say. A little bit of good, but not enough. I mean, so okay. So when we look at you know what what's happening in in general here with that can you let's reset back to the first things you taught me about opium and much like because you're talking about weed being weed and opium let's clarify what opium being opium looks like back in the day or or at least in your estimation what it would look like today if that if that supply were controlled and a hundred percent quality controlled i mean opium is the the basically the stuff you get the the goo that you get right from the poppies right it's 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 not processed very much and it's what people used to smoke around here in you know the turn of the 20th century so you know 115 years ago or i mean like way back then uh and the the federal government outlawed um the manufacture of opium in 1908 so that's when things started to take off. So people would just smoke opium in opium dens. And I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to find opium now. I've smoked it. It's pretty nice. But um, everything has taken off. There's been kind of like an arms race of drugs since then. Because once the police start chasing the drugs, you don't, you don't want something that takes up a lot of space. You want something that's much smaller volume, bigger bang for the buck, bigger kick. And so that's when we get to like people using morphine, then heroin, then shooting heroin, then China white, strong heroin, then eventually fentanyl, car fentanyl, benzodope, all the shit we have now. Um, but it's been like stronger and stronger and stronger. And it doesn't just happen with opioids. It, it actually happened with alcohol. In alcohol prohibition, right. um, you know, uh, bootleggers made moonshine that was really um, very, very powerful, very potent, not regulated. It could kill people. Uh, people often got sick because it wasn't regulated. and People weren't careful about how they made it. But before that, before prohibition, everyone just drank beer and wine. So you went overnight from beer and wine, you know, beer is like 5%, whatever, to this like 80 proof stuff that you could use to like uh, drive your car off or fly a plane off <laughs> if you want to, you know? So, so like that's the same effect is happening in the uh, opioid market that that same pressure that was driving people to get to moonshine is driving us to fentanyl and beyond right now so that would exclude like the synthetics right i guess that you know uh, when you talk about this stuff and legalizing i mean because there are synthetics where you know scientists really don't even know what's in it yet they've got to reverse engineer it all those kinds of things and then you've got the stories of uh you know um you know cocaine and all these other things that are getting caught with gasoline and god knows what else um right so i mean does that that part, the purity part there, that becomes a purity issue, at least on those topics is do you, would you clump all those together or do you, do you separate the, you know, the opium style story of quality from those other wildly synthetic or it's a bit of a wild west, right? I think it happens with everything. I mean, decriminalization won't touch the adulteration and purity question. So, I mean, you do have stuff like heroin is still possible to find in Canada, which is, you know, often still made from poppies, still the same stuff from opium. 
but you also have opioid analogs like heroin is an opioid opioid analogs are the newer synthetic stuff that's like fentanyl and all those things that are in that department and um you know you have the same thing for benzodiazepines like valium and and that sort of stuff you have those kind of analogs so it's true that the illegal the, the fact that police are trying to chase people uh dealers and try and choke off the supply encourages people to get in the lab and experiment and find something that's almost like the old stuff but one molecule different or maybe smaller or more powerful so that that law enforcement presence is driving the illegal market to be more creative and find things that are more powerful and and potentially more lethal more violent i would say do you want to even touch the whole gun conversation on handguns versus uh, illegal guns coming across the border that's driven by crime or i'm assuming that one hits you that one hits you differently sure i mean uh you can see like it's happened to me a few times when i have a regular source of supply you know i've i had the same dealer for years and years and years and then his supplier got busted and it threw the whole market into chaos. There was a vacuum in there and people fought to replace uh, who was going to be in charge of that part of the market. Mm-hmm. And, and so violence erupted. And a lot of, a lot of violence comes from um, that sort of conflict, right? People fighting over markets. And that, you only get that sort of thing in illegal markets. Like you don't have people fighting uh, gun battles in the streets over whether you're going to sell like Coors or Labatt's Blue at a pub. You just don't have that anymore, right? So the the fact of that drugs being illegal creates the circumstances for violence. I mean, just like I'll go back to alcohol again. Just like um, prohibition of alcohol created Al Capone, created the sort of gangsters of the '30s that we know from the movies. Those guys wouldn't have come to be in the same way had it not been for this great cash cow that they were given, which is the illegal booze market. The same thing with illegal hard drugs created a market for um, organized crime. Policing has been a thing that you've chatted about a lot. Um, Do you imagine police officers are carrying scales around now, little digital scales in their pockets so they can measure and make sure that you have enough gram limit of your your dope in your pocket when you get busted? I don't think they do that now because um, they can just use their discretion to arrest anybody they want for whatever quantity. But uh, they probably will think about that. You know, they'll they'll talk to each other about how do we tell 2.5 grams from 2.4 grams, you know. So they're they're going to probably ask the taxpayers for more money for training and scales and data collection and who knows what, you know. Uh, So, uh, I mean, my view is 2.5 is too low. Right. Like if you want to let uh, if you want to let people just be drug users, you should do surveys of drug users and find out how much they're carrying. We have done 2.5 is too low. If the police are true to their word that they just want to go after the big fish. uh, Well, the big fish aren't dealing in grams. That's the wrong unit of measure. So it's uh, it's a funny and probably political uh, number to choose that 2.5. You know, it's um, it's I guess we're going to see how it plays out. But I I do worry about the inclusion. In increased kind of policing of people who are carrying over that amount, you know? Hmm. Good news, bad news. If you had to, I mean, if you had to put a number on it, I don't know, 100% is all good news, 0% is bad news. Are we like sitting at a 50-50 with this one? Are we uh, 70-30? You know, I mean, I guess it helps, but to me, it's it seems like a, you know, like a Band-Aid on an amputated leg at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, that's true. And and I mean, I can't name any government program that I would say, hey, this is 100% great. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm always reacting like this, like, it's a little step in the right direction. We really need more. I'm always saying, had they listened to us, the program would have been designed differently. Um, you know, like my my first meeting on decriminalization as an activist, as a drug user, was in 1998. So me and the people in the Vancouver area network of drug users, we were at the table first. This was our idea, our demand, get the police out of our lives. And back then, I did heroin. And you could do a hit and do another hit 12 hours later. You could do it twice a day. Uh, and so, you know, 2.5 grams might have been the right amount for that time back in 1998 or whatever. But now heroin is mostly gone from Vancouver. It's mostly gone from a lot of drug markets. It's replaced with fentanyl. Fentanyl has no legs. It don't last 12 hours. It's like two hours. Mm-hmm. So people are doing it, you know, eight, eight, 10, 12 times a day. So they're carrying more weight. So if the government wants to design a program, they actually have to listen to the people who are affected. And I know it sounds like, uh, you know, what? 4.5 grams, that's, you know, almost double what the government's saying. Uh, that's the kind of ballpark we would have to be in to really decriminalize the people with the with the habits of today, you know, not the sort of nostalgic look at people with habits like I did back in the day. Uh, and it's, it's always hard to get the government to listen, but we're used to it. All of the drug reform that's happened in Canada has been driven by activists like the people at Vandu and the government has always responded with kind of watered down half measures. And then we get to say that was interesting on the day of the announcement. This is a step in the right direction. And then the next day, you just got to keep fighting. What is the uh, what is the bologna in the prime rib sandwich, if you will, the filler that's um, that's being used today? Because I've heard that there's new stuff. There's like new stuff that's like 10 times more powerful. It's killing people left and right. Um, help us understand that because the carfentanil was really the the filler that was the unexpected dosage. You never knew what was in there. Um, and uh, so what, what are we looking at today? Because there's words that I'm not familiar with. So, I mean, in, back in uh, 2014, I remember I was walking across this park here in the downtown east side, Oppenheimer Park, and I heard the sirens and I saw this bad dope alert poster. And then I heard two people that I know had died. And I just thought, holy shit, something's happening here. I flashed back to the 90s when we had an overdose crisis and a lot of people were dying. And I thought, not again. And then it was right around that time that fentanyl was turning up in the drug supply. So it was a little bit. It was unexpected. And so people were dropping from it. But then it came, became more and more. And then it took over entirely. And now we're getting fentanyl plus a new adulterant, uh, benzodiazepine-like substances. And so people are calling it benzodope. And it's making the overdoses increase be more complicated, even worse, harder to reverse. Uh, and so the longer we let this go on, the more we're just going to keep walking down this road of of new and worse substances. And I don't know what's next, like, you know, like crazy ghost zombie astro dope or something like that. I don't know what yeah. it's going to be. But it's just like now I understand. In 2014, when I was seeing the crisis come back, I was like, not again. This can't happen like twice. But now I'm like, I get it. This is a this is the logic of the drug war that they've set up. This is the inevitable outcome of this set of laws and policies. And so we're just always going to be heading for worse places if we don't do a, a big overhaul, not tinkering at the edges, not an increment, but just end this whole thing. Uh, Astro, what do you call it? 
astrotope <laughs> stardust yeah. right some sort of yeah. uh, some sort of meteor dust well it's not a funny conversation but if you can't uh, truly look at it and 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 really you know uh be amazed by I don't know the recklessness of it all. Uh, regardless, if someone doesn't agree with you that that legalization is the answer, the, there's it's undeniable the recklessness around it. I mean, it's just that simple. So, um, I think the insight you provide, Garth, is really cool. I'm glad to see that you're all right. And the um, and we always this is the hard part. Of course, funerals for you um, are a pretty regular occurrence in your life. Um, you know, yep. any friends uh, that you want to acknowledge their names since we'll put it out in the public. Uh, public ether that's um that you've you've been going through dealing with in the last little bit i just want to give you a chance to sort of declare that out in your heart yeah thanks um we just buried uh greg frez uh he was uh i don't know he was like this really gentle lovely guy he was uh on the crew of people who helped me make the crackdown podcast on the editorial board and uh, that's the third person we've lost uh, from from that editorial board. We only started a few years ago. Uh, Greg was like um, almost a professional hockey player. He was uh, he played with a team out here called the New Westminster Bruins, which was like a I, I don't I'm forgive me I don't know the whole hierarchy of how teams work, but he was in this just under the NHL, like he was being uh, uh, scouted and stuff like that. So he was he was. Uh, he was quite an interesting guy with a real, um, a real backstory and a cool life. And uh, I didn't know some of those things until he died. And so I, I'm always struck by um, trying to learn more and get closer to people while we're all alive and just learn things about them uh, at the at the memorial, you know. Mm. Uh, w- uh, WHL was the Western Hockey League, so uh, Tier One Junior Hockey, which is the next step, right, of uh, the last step of <laughs> amateurs. So there you go. I don't know, whatever, man. Yeah, there you go. Now you go. There, I believe you. I can give you the hockey. You can give me the the dope insight. And uh, it work, we work well together, me and you, Garth. <laughs> well, thanks for being so generous with your time and making this work on short notice with us, Garth. Um, it's 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 great that people get to hear this and um, also the tribute to your friends. So important. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me back and giving this conversation so much airtime and thoughtfulness. I really appreciate it. This is the Shift Podcast. Now we go all the way across to Europe, deep into Ukraine. Mikhail Zernikov joins us, uh, former judge, law guy, advocate for all things good policy, and all around nice fellow. Mikhail, how are you? Uh, hi, Shane. Thanks for uh, such a cool introduction. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm relatively good, you know, as uh, probably as good as you can be given the circumstances. Uh, yeah, we're working, um, uh, being active, trying to help as much as we can to win the war. But of course, the circumstance, circumstances are uh, dire, obviously. Very dire. One thing that I always wonder, Mikhailo, is when I ask you, how are you doing? And I know that with some of your colleagues that we chat to as well and people from uh, you know, from your professional circles that we have here on the radio, I say, how are you? And I, you and other people, you hesitate a little bit and you say that you're okay. Um, is that a difficult thing to say when you know that so many Ukrainians are uh, fighting to, to save their lives and at the same time you are okay? Like your, your day is okay today. Is that confusing? Is it difficult to navigate? Is, is it hard to say that you're okay when so many things are not okay around you? How does that land for you? 
Well, it's a good question. It, it, it is and it isn't because, you know, the pause, I think, is, is because we're all thinking, well, actually, how am I? Because, first of all, there's not much time that we ask ourselves that. Uh, and, you know, it's important to, you know, to keep being sane and, and uh, um, effective to, to some degree, at least, in order, you know, to, to be to be useful for the country to, to, to win this war. But yes, you're absolutely right. There's, there, there's people who are under constant shelling, like 10 hours of shelling, both, you know, they're not even service people, like civilians under constant shelling by Russia in the East right now. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's incomparable, of course. You know, we can, we can uh, again, we're all trying, I think, to, you know, the whole country is trying to uh, help however they can, uh, but there, there's this very, very significant difference between, you know, life on a, in a, on the front line and in a more, uh, say, peaceful cities. Even though, again, there's um, there's missile strikes and you never know. There's uh, air raids every day, several times a day, and uh, sometimes, and you, you you basically don't know whether you know whether you still live through the day or not. But again, it's incomparable to what happens in the east on the front line. Yeah, and it, and it's you know it's worth noting. I think acknowledging that it is okay to be okay in this moment. I mean, if you don't have that, well, you have to. That's the, that's the yeah. thing. You have to. You you can't you can't just go uh, uh and and just just lie on the on the sofa. You know, you can't you can't win the, the war this way. Yeah. Well, resignation is such a dangerous thing, and as human beings, we fall into it from time to time. And. There's not a lot left to fight for if we're resigned all the time. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate you being here and sharing your time with us. Um, back to work is uh, is is back to the office a thing for you? You know, you personally have kept your um, you've kept your location uh, secret from us because we never know who's listening. And you had shared with us in the very beginning because of your uh, former work as a judge and your policy work that you do that you most likely would be on on a very bad list if if the bad right, guys yeah. made it to, to Kiev. now it, are you is that lightened up at all for you are you able to go back to work work or are you still quietly working somewhere that we don't talk about yes we we, we actually are uh, and we are working and I think uh, you know I'm, I'm, uh, there's there's even you know I still you know w- want to keep it Relatively low, just for the you know for the sake of it, you know the the, the uh, but it's safe and sorry, uh, you know. Then uh, yes, but the, the work work is actually possible, and we you know we relocated the office first uh, in the first days of war, uh, you know, to be effective to be as much as possible, uh, but to you know to, to to not just be in a constant uh, threat of uh, uh, physical attack. Um, and yes, right now we are lucky because we, you know, we, our work is not connected to any production, anything physical. Actually, you just, you know, you type things on your computer or you, you know, talk to people. That's that's basically it. You know, you know di- different forms of electronic communication or, or, or whatnot. So it's intellectual work. But, but unfortunately, there's there's lots of uh, workplaces that are right now that are non-existent. You know, not mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, you know, there's there's a the whole uh, warehouses, factories, whatever that is, um, it's it's all destroyed now. And uh, you know, there's, there's some predictions that say, or there's several predictions that say, this in between 35 to 60 percent GDP drop uh, that is expected, which is huge. I mean, you you're basically losing half of your economy uh, to the war. Mm. Uh, okay, let's talk about the hard stuff, Mikhailo, because we don't hesitate to talk about the hard stuff. I looked across BBC, yeah. CNN, you know, notable news websites. 
around the world, and it's it's getting less and less prominent. The Ukraine conversation on the front page mm. of the BBC. You have to scroll to the bottom. Um, the Ukraine on uh, Ukraine conversation on CNN. It's in the live updates section, but it's not a big bold headline. Now, uh, in all fairness, uh, you know, there have been incredibly. Uh, terrible things that have happened in the United States as well. So that has shifted their conversation to be more, right. yeah. uh, you know, nationally local too, which is, of course, fair for, for those folks to worry about what's going on in their world too. But it must be very, very difficult, um, for you to see some of the narrative changing, uh, about what's, about what's going on in Ukraine. How, how do Ukrainians talk about that? Well, that's, you're absolutely right that there's, um, First of all, you can't, you know, you can't keep focusing. You, you can't be on a, on a uh, you know, on the front pages forever. That's that's not how how media works, and we recognize that. At the same time, you know, it's it's bizarre that you know we we, we for sure we don't want, um, and it's not. It wouldn't be fair to any country to be, you know, oh, there's, you know, th- there's been three months since people have been dying thirty thousand every day. Maybe I don't know. It's just just from the top of my head, just any number. And, and it's, it stops being the news, and, but it's still horrible. And it's still, like, you know, the, 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 the war, the massacre, the, the genocide that is recognized by, you know, the, the, the majority by now, I think, of the civilized world, uh, see it as genocide. Um, you know, it's happening in the heart of Europe and, uh, you know, it's not news anymore, which is, which is uh, again, which is a hard thing to, to comprehend even. Um, yes, and... Uh, the narrative shift, you're, 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 I think you're out here too because it is, you know, the, it's good and we, we still, you know, we, we feel the support, you know, the, the weapons are coming even though not, not as many and not as, as, as everything that, that we need to, you know, to win this, but uh, still we feel the support. But at the same time, we see from the messaging of some, uh, you know, European leaders and even some American leaders that, you know, oh, we, we will provide the necessary tools that Ukraine is in the best position to, uh, what was it, to be in the negotiation table. Again, the, the, you know, it was Biden's, uh, well, it was his column in, in one of the media outlets. I don't remember quite which one, but... Uh, you know, it's, again, we, we're we're hearing the narrative. Oh, you know, the peace talks, whatever. Russia will not. You know, it's it's either of the two. Russia will only talk about the the, the peace talks of us that will lead to Ukraine non-existing, because that's what they want. It's not it's not more territory. It's 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 the vastest territory in the world already. You know, adding zero point zero zero whatever percent to it. It's not what they want. It's it's it's. I think by now everybody understands it. They just want us to not exist. And uh, I think it's Golda Meir, who, who actually comes from Kiev and who's, who's been uh, one of the you know founders of the Israeli of Israel. Uh, she said, "Well, we want to leave. Our enemies want us dead. There's not too much room for compromise. So there's there cannot be any peace talks, any effective peace talks." before Russia is defeated. That's, it's, it's as simple as this. And, um, you know, to see that and to hear that uh, shift uh, to, you know, again, the, the, the openly talking about any peace talks that, you know, we, we, they're not saying it openly that we have to go back to negotiation table, but that's, that's, I think, what, in a nutshell, many world leaders are hoping for, that it will, you know, somehow settle itself and they will then continue doing business, uh, you know, as it was with Russia, business as usual this will not happen this will this and this shouldn't happen if this happens then it is a you know it, it is a a big message to every dictator in the world do whatever you like 
kill people in thousands, hundreds of thousands, invade other countries. Nobody will care. So there, I, I find myself, I get frustrated um, with some of the, the stories that come out. I mean, while it's good that the United States is sending these um, these machines, these trucks that can fire rockets from the back, 80 kilometers yeah. or something like that, um, you know, that's all, that's great and stuff. And so how, how does that, even the playing field, okay, well, that's great. But they're not sending the long-range ones. And the articles that I read over the last, uh, I don't know, probably 24 hours, had said the reason mm-hmm. why is they don't want Ukraine had to agree to not attack Russia, right? Like, and so the, this must be incredibly frustrating to sit there and know that, you know, the eastern end of your, your country is getting obliterated. And th- while these countries are helping and sending this kind of military assistance, they're, they're sending yeah. the stuff that allows you to defend only. And you can't, the reason being is because just in case you fire deep into Russia, like th- that seems to me to be, I don't know. I, like, it's helpful. Of course, it's a good thing, and you don't want to be negative about it. But you sort of got to look at that and go, really? Is this this is the place we're at right now? You need to be have a babysitter. Exactly. Uh, that, that's exactly the feeling. Of course, again, we're we're grateful for what we are provided. But again, you have to do militarily. It's not you know defend with your you know at least one hand tied behind your back. It's, it's is it effective? Um, we understand that, you know, the, the probable uh, reasoning behind that is that, you know, the, 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 you know, the U.S. doesn't want to escalate world war, war, whatever. But, you know, there, there's, there's already a lot of voices of, of smart people saying, look, it's already started in, in this form or, or, or the other. Of course, you don't want, you know, the nuclear winter or, or you know, the, the, the world catastrophe and, and uh, the human uh, civilization to cease to exist. But again, you have to, to successfully defend, you have to destroy some of the, you know, um, the, the, the weapons warehouses, the, the, some of the military targets on the enemy's territory. That is the aggressor are legitimate aims, are legitimate targets. And, you know, oh, don't shoot into Russia. Well, we have, we, we share a border with Russia. You can shoot with, you know, with a handgun, you can shoot into Russia's territory if you'd like. So that is why, I mean, if it's 70 kilometers, it can literally shoot 70 kilometers into Russia. Why, I, I don't see really uh, what's, what's, what's the matter, why, why, why is the difference, you know, why, why they're not long-range weapons. We hope still it will come because, again, um, there's these targets, and of course there are targets that are in a Black Sea, and that's that's another thing which is um, a catastrophe not only for Ukraine but for the whole world is the grain exports, and you know there's there's people there's millions of people in Africa and and in other places that will starve to death if uh, Ukrainian ports are not deblocked, and that's that's exactly what Russia is doing on purpose blocking them, and there's still no way around this even though you know they, these targets can be easily destroyed that are blocking and that are basically causing the famine in or will cause it uh, very likely in, in, in a very short time um that are that are blocking that are again legitimate things yeah and it, well i mean let's first of all let's just acknowledge the fact that russia is shooting from outside ukraine into ukraine 
it seems silly to not at yeah. least return the yeah. favor, yeah. If, yeah. if you will. But when you talk about famine, wait until migration starts. When people get hungry, they tend to move, and the rest of the world is going to wake up real quick when a bunch of people show up at the borders and it becomes a humanitarian crisis. But yet, um, nobody seems to want to you know get ahead of that curve either. Uh, Mikhail Zernikov joins us here from Ukraine, and let's let's chat about Severodonetsk because that one is not doing well, yeah. but close by uh, uh I hope I Lysychonsk. I don't know if I said yeah. that one right. Um, the uh, that one seems to be that town seems to be doing okay. What are you hearing about the uh, the nasty fighting on those bigger cities? Well, it, we hear what we what we get from the press because again, we are. Uh, I don't have access to any you know secret military information, but uh, of course, um, you know we had to basically withdraw from there because if you look at the map, it's looking now as it is, you know, a little. Not a little, but it is an appendix essentially. So we have we have an enemy on top and in in the bottom, and you you know it becomes incre- increasingly harder to defend Severodonetsk, which is of course it's a it's a large town. It's, it's it has a hundred thousand people, but um, you know it's it's uh, militarily you want you want your front line to be you know a line and not a uh, something that is you know that 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 the enemy can easily cut off and then destroy a lot of your um forces so unfortunately yes it's not uh it's not good they're they're advancing slowly but surely and we had to withdraw from from there but uh, yes we uh, from from what at least is in ukrainian media we are coming we're withdrawing to lisa chance to defend which is which can be more easily defended uh from several points of view uh also from a point of view that it makes the line uh, kind of more um, you know, it's more of a straight line, and it's easy to defend also from from that point of view. Mikhailo, uh, you your background in law, you became a lawyer, then you became a judge, then you got into law and policy and all those things. When you were a young man contemplating going to university and getting a degree and what your career was going to look like, um, did you have any idea that you would go from being just a, a normal lawyer to one that founds an organization to change policy and law policy across Ukraine at a time where, I mean, Ukraine is probably going to change the most now than you could have ever imagined. Um, Did you ever think that this would be when you planned your law career, that this was going to be the way it would go out? Could you have imagined? Uh, What's your best guess? (laughs) No, of course not. Uh, I actually didn't. I actually, when I, when I was young, when I was thinking about careers, you know, choosing career paths, I actually did not want to work for the state. It wasn't appealing to me uh, because, you know, you know, this has its flows and it's it's very specific um, type of work. And then, of course, through the years, I, first of all, got more more and more involved in things that are policy related. Second of all, of course, I wanted to help the country, even uh, especially after the uh, the revolution of dignity of 2013, 2014, uh, when, you know, you, you saw that people are dying on the streets uh, in order to, you know, to, to help change the country. When we, we had a, a pro-Russian government um, that was oppressive and uh, uh, then we had to overthrow it in order to, you know, to progress. And you know, more than 100 people died in the streets of Kiev. That, that, was, that was very tragic, but it was, that was also, you know, that, that was something that shook the country, including myself. Then I, then I thought, what am I doing? Uh, can, I, can I be more, you know, how can I help? Can I be more um, useful to the country? And uh, luckily, there's, there's 
was more than than just myself. It's just hundreds of thousands of people who thought exactly like this and shifted and made made a lot of change since then. So now, uh, and and you're right, Shane. Now we have uh, there's even much bigger stress right now. And I think the general understanding is that you know we have to change, we have to modernize the country completely in order to win this war because it will, whatever happens right now it will probably not disintegrate russia right now and that's that's the only way this disintegration and transformation uh and democratization of russia is the only way we are not attacked um, again so in order to successfully defend and that, that might take years or decades in order to successfully defend defend in the meantime and to actually be you know, to live in a normal country, normal functioning country, we have to transform the rest of the, you know, build institutions, uh, eradicate corruption, which we, you know, we, 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 we moved a long way and, and really have lots of success, but we have to, we have to finish it. And uh, right now we, we need a lot of, you know, people engaged in that and a lot of help from outside as well. So that is why I'm actually very, um, I'm quite optimistic. I can't say I'm very optimistic because it's not, it's not decided yet, but uh, all these programs and the, uh, you know, the messaging from the EU that there will be help, there will be lots of help. You know, we're talking half a trillion dollars or euros. It's a, it's a huge sum uh, so far. It's just a rough estimate of what's being destroyed. But they say that they want to provide this help uh, in turn or, or basically, yeah, uh, basically Ukraine has to transform and so you um, – Ukraine will get money in internal reforms uh, that you know will guarantee that Ukraine will uh, this money is used effectively and Ukraine will prosper and you know be become a really really democratic country other than you know misusing these these funds and being a threat uh, to the people of Ukraine and to the rest of the world for you know indefinite time. Well, the cool part, I suppose, is that the cool part of capitalism is there's going to be an awful lot of people and businesses and countries that show up to profit off the rebuild. And while that's not ideal in all the cases, it certainly brings a lot of capital and gets things going. Um, yeah. and, um, and so that's the way the world works and that's the way the world turns. So the rebuild part, um, I know that there's going to be a lot of excitement about what that looks like. I've been asked again recently, um, how long do you keep talking about Ukraine? That's why I brought up the headlines and the fact that it's, the narrative has changed, at least in the media outlets that we've been asked this again. And how long do you keep? going to ukraine and, and i was asked this question on our we have a facebook group mikhailo um we call mm-hmm. them our, our audience shift heads and um because okay. of the shift radio show and um and on that facebook group someone said do you ever think you'll go to ukraine and meet all your new friends and uh, my response was the same is that you know i don't know if we're, we keep talking about it the same way because we don't know right that everything's going to change through the course of time but you know taking the stand and i think all of us uh, you know, Western world folks, you know, believers in, in all things, at least ethical and, and, and moral and, and, you know, the kindness of humans. We keep talking about it until we can go there and go back. And I think that that's incredibly, um, important because there's a lot of Ukrainians in Canada now that can't wait to go back. And, and we look forward to the day when I can get a personalized tour from, uh, from you guys, which would be a pretty great way to, to, to wrap it all up, I think. So thank you for being so generous with your time. You can bet on that, Shane, and thank you so much for uh, doing that and continuing doing that. That's extremely important, and that, that I think what leadership in, in media looks like. No matter what, no matter the, you know, the, 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 um, 
the agenda or what, whatever other reasons, you know, the, the mainstream media is um, kind of, uh, you know, turning or their attention elsewhere, keeping focus on, on really important things that are, in fact, right now shaping the world that, it, you know, what it will become and what it will look like and will, you know, democracy win or will, will autocracy win in the end and how, you know, it, it is it is something that shifts, um, uh, you know, uh, um, the the world right now. So that is why it's, I agree it's, it's extremely important, not only for the sake of Ukraine, but for the sake of the world. So thank you again for, for doing this. And it's this incredible work. And thanks for having me and, and uh, letting all these you know voices from Ukraine be heard. Uh, Mikhailo Zernikov joins us from Ukraine. Um, and we will uh, we will connect again very soon. Mikhailo, uh, good luck today. Have a fantastic uh, day for you. It's a little bit almost midday now on Thursday, June 2nd. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.